you get the open double gory, son. Double gory, son. Straight. And dude, I almost got screwed over today because of that. And So I think that we we got a little Commander Cast connection there. It's tenuous. Tenuous at best. And welcome to episode 235 for your weekly source for community, strategy, and technology, hosted on mtgcast.com and our home site, commandcast.com. We're recording this on February 4th, 2016. I am your host of the show, William, and joining me as always is my perennial co-host, the Commander Panda, Clay. How are you doing today, sir? I am doing pretty well. Pretty well. Yeah. Okay. So... Normally, this would be where Calvin is interrupting me, which he may or may not do with, with the I time. Mean, he, I mean, uh, someone might interrupt you, you know. Yeah, just it's like... It's totally that. possible that someone might <laughs> So, yeah. No, but like, seriously, someone might just interrupt you. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, guys, so Calvin might be joining us a little later. I went ahead and sent a message. Captain is currently MIA. But regarding Mark, Mark sent us an email and said that he he's uh, going to be on the show a little more sporadically. Uh, he's in a bit of a magic slump. Apparently it happens like about this time every year where he just doesn't get to go out and play magic. So we're definitely going to have Mark on again, but we'll be looking to have some more get- guests, maybe get Aaron back on. So no worries, it'll be more than just me, me and Clay and Calvin partway through the podcast. That's not to say that we don't have things to actually talk about, though. So let's go ahead and go into the first section, which we do every week, which is our favorite commanders this week. And Clay, who's your favorite commander this week? Um, that is a tough question, as I haven't gotten to play much Commander over the past week, which I am a little bit sad about. But, uh, could just go back to the old standbys of Rexiel and Zada and Dagatar and Ixidor. I don't actually have Ixidor built right now. That That is a complete and total lie. Um, okay, so do you or do you not still have the Ixidor deck? I can neither confirm nor deny the existence of decks that I have not seen. Okay, then. We'll take it. <laughs> All right. So, but did you get a chance to see the um uh, the video I linked to everyone? The, uh, the alpha build one? Yeah. Yeah, dude, it's a cool concept. I like it. Yeah, because I'm still, because I'm going to keep going with Avacyn right now as my favorite command this week, if only because she's the only one I'm playing right now. Mm-hmm. I actually haven't played it at the game store for the past couple of weeks because I'm recording the videos. And there are situations where I kind of think, yeah, I would want Minval in here, but those tend to be the attrition-based wars. Like, in the, mm. like I was recording the Arabian Nights editions of the Alpha Build this week, and I got, and it came down to me and the Jaya Ballard player. And I, it, you know, they're almost down with cards, and if they keep killing Minvala and they keep, you know, infernoing, I can still keep casting Minvala, getting that life back, and getting more angel tokens. Mm. So in that case, Minvala is better. But, <laughs> o- but overall. I still prefer Avacyn in most situations because her effect is so much more game-changing. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's a lot more impactful than, than Vala's, hey, you get, a yeah. team, you get a small life buff. With Avacyn, you can actually just shut down their biggest threat and m- make them look somewhere else. Yeah. The only downside is that Avacyn doesn't work on the Void cards, so... Yeah. Mm. But we do get Sergo Protection artifacts when I get to Antiquities. So, still sticking with Avacyn. Hopefully I'll be able to play some regular games of EDH next week. Let's see, what next week? Is next week the 16th? No, it's not. Okay, so it should be good. So, I'm also looking at Eilie right now. I don't n- know if I want to switch to Eilie right away. I don't know if I've given Daxos a fair shake. 
But with Ailee, I actually can just play the Moonsilver Spear. <laughs> and I want to do, do that. At the same time, it's also got me thinking, well, the thing I liked about playing Tristani was that I got to keep populating a lot of angels. So it, mm. it was just the angel token deck. Just, Tristani doesn't exist anymore, though. So what if I actually started turning Ailee into the angel token deck? Sort of, kind of redid that because each angel is going to give her like four life a pop. <laughs> and with the Moonsilver Spear, she can attack get an angel, and anything that tries to block her just dies. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes. I'm still kind of brainstorming the concept. Actually, if you have an Eily deck, go ahead and tweet it over to me. I'm at BlueRam1409, or you can even tweet it at CommanderCast, and I'll go ahead and take a look because I, I kind of want some ideas. You know, just get the the old brain juices going. <laughs> Next up. It's going to be to talk about the Patreon. So I did start putting up the the uh, first list of the Alphabet videos for our five dollar plus Patreons, and I'm going to put up the uh, the first actual you know test run I was doing with the deck on exclusively for the ten dollar plus Patrons. I'm also so, uh, I still have to record a bonus game with the Arabian Nights to put up for the ten dollar plus Patrons. But you guys are going to start getting content now. And I'm so excited about it. I had a lot of fun actually recording the Arabian Nights stuff. A lot of the, uh, actually tonight's topics were actually inspired by my guests with the Arabian Nights and the experiences that came from that. So I'm going to be very happy and excited to talk about those experiences as well. Right now we have, if I were to check the profile real quick, right now we have 11 patrons and we're just over $60 a month. That helps pay for a lot of the cards that I'm going to be using to, to make these videos. So thank you so much for helping me out with that and you know just producing the content and all that and if you want to go ahead and discuss any of these things that we're discussing now you can go ahead and leave us comments on our website commandercast.com uh hit us up on the facebooks and like i said you can also tweet us at commandercast so today in our show we're going to be talking about you know we're talking you know the reserve list is kind of the stem force some of this there's been a lot some rumors we're going to be talking about that but also going to be talking about you know corn case cards the cars that are just kind of dead in common scenarios. So stay tuned, everyone. We'll be right back. Here's a question for you. With the wording on the reserve list, does it actually say that the cards on the reserve list, they won't reprint or make cards that are better versions of them? Uh, let's see. I had it up and then it's gone. Go ahead and look, click on that link. What up is the exact wording of reserve list? Uh, let's take a look, see. Reserve list. Current definition. Reserved cards are cards that will never be printed again in functionally ident- in a functionally identical form. A card is considered functionally identical to another card if it has the same card type, subtypes, abilities, mana cost, power, and toughness. The exclusion of any particular card from the reserve list does not indicate that there are any plans to reprint that card. The repin policy applies to both English and non-English cards. All policies apply only to tournament legal magic cards in printed form. So they could print like another gold border collector's edition set with power nine and dual lands and stuff. Yeah, because they have only because they're to not tournament legal. Yeah, so they could do gold cards. I think they actually did do that once. I mean, they've had the collector's edition. The point of the collector's edition was to print, you know, a collector side to it without tournament legal cards, but. The restriction also does not apply to on non-redeemable digital cards on Magic Online. Okay, so so here's the question that I now have to ask. Okay, with the mm-hmm. wording on the reserve list. Uh, okay, example: 
I can if if say for instance Goblin Power Driver was on the reserve list, you could not print Goblin Power Driver again. Or and also you could not print a card that was similar enough to Goblin Power Driver where it basically felt like you were playing Goblin Power Driver, right? Right. Well, it's uh, let's see. Um, what it means is that they can't print like Goblin Driver Pile and have it have the exact same stats and abilities on everything. Um, Fair even enough. if even if um, Goblin Pile Driver uh-huh. were on the reserve list they would still be able to print Goblin Rabble Master, even though they are similar. But they are not the same. Like, we have dual lands on the reserve list, but we were still able to print shock lands and battle lands. I have a follow-up retort to that, as soon as he's, he's last card passed. Okay, so with that, what happens to all of the vanilla toughness creatures or whatever from those sets that didn't get reprinted? We don't talk about that. Hmm. I don't think they actually because, are on there, because the vanilla-type creatures would have been uh, common. Okay. And but the other card, every, everything in that set is not allowed. It's on the reserve list, correct? As long if it's a card that was on that set that was already reprinted, like Giant Spider, Giant Spider is fine. We've already printed it a hundred times. We're not taking it out of, like, uh, 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 the core set of 20... 2010 or whatever, because it's already been printed 9,000 times. I'm pretty sure that's why... Right? I'm pretty sure that's why a lot of the stuff managed to get away from it, because they had been reprinted in another set at that point. But what I'm saying is is that in all of those sets, there has to be at least one or two cards that are just there. Yes, there are definitely one or two white or whatever. That are just there. That have never been reprinted. So that means anytime they print a one-mana, one-one creature, it's basically breaking a reserve list. No. And why not? Because reasons. Because the flavor of the reserve, the spirit of the reserve list, which is what they've been using for years now, like a one mana one. The bullshit of the reserve list is more re- like it. Reprinting a one mana one one does not break the spirit of the reserve list in the way that reprinting a that printing a new dual land with no downsides breaks the spirit of the reserve list. Plus and that is probably how Mark Rosewater would phrase it. You would have to find. I don't care about your. I don't care about your spirits. I'm looking at it as simple as this. If my wasteland or my fetch or my dual land that's on this list cannot be printed and you can't make me a new version of it just because it's on this list, what happens to this? Why do I thought am I getting this one one squire in this set that just came out? But it has the exact same power, exact same mana cost, and the exact same creature type. What the fuck, Watson? <laughs> I'm actually looking through the reserve list, and Squire's not on here. <laughs> you know what else isn't on there? Wasteland. Neither is Force of Will. Force of Will is also not on there. So, I don't... Depends uh, the power of time travel. You guys will actually know whether or not what the big announcement of Watsy's thing over the Pro Tour was, but there's been... but. Us here in the real time, or your past, or our future. Whenever this is. Thousands of years in the future! <laughs> so, we've been hearing rumors that Watsy's gonna have some really big, important announcement, some sort of Professor Fonsworth, good news, everybody, type thing. And there's been baseless speculation that, ooh, maybe Watsy will finally take away the, take down the reserve list, and maybe we'll finally get some, you know, 
to Power 9 reprint, original Alpha reprint type stuff, which, <laughs> to be fair, would be pretty sweet if it happened. But I want to go ahead and kind of talk about what would happen if the reserve list actually did go away. You know, the reason why the reserve list is still there is because Watsy made a promise that to collectors that they would not, you know, stop putting down the reserve list, that their cards would retain value because they were guaranteed never to be reprinted. And they've skirted with those lines. Watsy doesn't like having the reserve list there. Most of the players don't like having the reserve list there. You know, stuff like the From the Vault Karn and the Dual Decks Phyrexian Negator, those were cards that people, that the collectors that this list was for threw a bitch fit because, you know, they're trying to play with a technicality. Oh, you know, the reserve thing doesn't count the premium cards that are in exclusive product type things. Like, the only way to get this card is to get a premium version from From the Vault Relics. So, according to the reserve list, that's okay. But if you're a collector, it comes dangerously close to, hey, they're trying to go back on what they said they would do. And <laughs> Now, the other thing is that Watsi has a policy of, hey, we did make a promise. We don't like this promise, but it's important to the players that they know that we keep our promises. So we're going to grit our teeth and kind of bear it a bit. There is a, I was looking through the, a bit of the history of the reserve list, though. And it mentions that in 2002, they revised the reserve list, so decided no cards from Mercadium Asset and later sets would be reserved. Commons and uncommons from limited edition were removed from this reserve list due to overwhelming public support for this change. In consideration of past commitments, however, no other cards would be removed from the list. The exception was Feroz's Ban from Homelands, which was reprinted in 5th edition, but mistakenly still on the reserve list at the time. It was also removed. Hey, Calvin. Yeah. Hey, guys. He's here. Okay. So how how much show have I missed? Uh, we just uh, started. The, we just started the first segment. Oh, okay. Hello, everybody. My name is Calvin. I'm also known as Captain Red Zone around the internet. I am one of the co-hosts, or sometimes uh, slouch of the show. I play Red. That's about it. Uh, let's see. Favorite commander for this week? There isn't one. Uh, you know what? Fuck that. If if I don't have one, I'm just going with Ashley the Pilgrim because Ashley the Pilgrim <laughs> is better than all. What's the topic? Uh, we just started talking about the reserve list. Uh, the reserve list sucks. There we go. Moving on. Next topic. <laughs> <laughs> Next topic was situational cards. Uh, situational cards are situational. Next topic. Next up, technology. We were going to talk about the cards themselves that were situational, but incredibly powerful in those situations. All right. Have you ever had a fog? Have anyone ever tried to attack you with an army of a million people? In that situation, fog is probably one of the best cards you could possibly have. Most of the times, you'd probably be better off just playing a raft. <laughs> yeah. What? Move, Jazz and R&B right behind me. Uh, take it. All right, that about does it for our show. Let's go ahead and take it to the outro. <laughs> cool. All right, so <laughs> we were on the okay, so we were on the reserve list. Like Calvin, did you hear about the rumors and things going on about Watsy's big announcement this weekend? What for the legacy thing? Uh, the, no, it was the modern turn. Oh yeah, course. the the other uh. Because cause there's always rumors going around, and I've heard several. Uh, one of the ones I've heard recently is, is that Wizards is going to be making like a Legacy Masters thing, which I just like, that's just stupid because it goes against the reserve list. No, they're going to burn all these great cards from Legacy that's not on the reserve list. Oh, so you basically say you're, they're going to build modern then because all the great cards in Legacy are on the reserve list. Oh, except for Force of Will. Yeah, except for Force of Will. 
Okay, so it's going to be one box, and it's going to just have horses oil. It's going to crack over the pack, and it's going to have 15 horses in it. <laughs> I mean, I can play a zombie in 99 horses oils. No one gets to play Magic ever again. No, see, like, correction, you never get to play Magic again, because after that, you will have no friends. <laughs> What's a friend? A friend is someone you share your pizza with when you have too much. Wait, you can have too much pizza? Isn't that my dog? No, I think, no, your dog's who you share your friend fries with. I give him my pizza crust. I don't eat that shit. You don't eat your pizza crust? No, this has got, like, cheese or, like, bacon or something like that on it. But if it's just like I get like a regular cheese pie, nah, I go for all the cheese, and I get the crust, and my dog looks at me, and it's like, oh, you want some pizza? He's like, <laughs> and I'll be like, here, take it. And all he gets is the crust. I mean, if you're going to give your dog something, you might as well give him the crust, but the crust is, the crust is decent. Alright, so, on the topic of the reserve list, you know, we had a bit of history with that. I was talking about it with the guys at the shop, if something like this were to come out. And, you know, there's always the fear that something like this would just destroy the value of all the cards. But I, <laughs> but yeah, like I think Modern Masters proved that some of the higher, more in-demand cards are actually going to be just fine. You know, like the Goid. How am I Goid? And Double Goids. Like, let's go with a hypothetical situation where they decided to abolish, finally repeal the reserve list and print a paper version of Vintage Masters, because why not? So, one, they would probably do what they did with the online one, which is, you know, the Power 9 goes at a rarity above, that was nine times above Mythic. So, like, expedition type rarity. Not only are the, is that not going to really affect the original printings, but these cards are still going to be a hefty price tag on their own. Like, the Alpha Lotus is an Alpha Lotus, like, that already has <laughs> a lot of history behind it. And it might, I mean, I guess it might go down a little bit, because people are going to want the newer versions rather than the super expensive old one. Well, it depends yeah, on... This time it's got a lot of like games behind it, too. It depends you on if they use those, like, ugly artwork and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, it depends on like if when they got it, they were younger and everybody used to put it in their bike spoke. <laughs> oh, man. Playing with no sleeves on the playground pavement. But, yeah. Well, see, these are, that's the other thing is that because these cart car versions would be significantly cheaper, people could actually play vintage by get, if they got a deck together and actually not be afraid to play all these cards. Mm. Like, I, I, it boggles my mind that to think that someone wouldn't want to play a card that they spent $5,000 on. But, so, value-wise, I don't think it actually hurts a lot of this. We also get just a lot of sweet cards that really should be reprinted, like Goblin Wizard. We would get to play Goblin Wizard. You get to play All Hallows Eve. You would get man. with screen counters. <sighs> All those older cards with, like, Oracle and Arata. <laughs> so, the reserve list, so in this hypothetical... Vintage Master happens, you know, everyone goes crazy, stores are sold out everywhere because everyone wants a chance to get that shiny black lotus or even that Mox Ruby, that Mox Pearl, Time Walk, what have you. Value-wise, nothing really happens to the old ones. People just get these awesome cards. Like, yeah, I don't have an alpha black lotus, but now I have a black lotus. More More importantly, we just get, you know, some of these other cards into people's hands, like, there are a lot of dollar rare type rares that are on this list. Just because when Watsi was trying to, to figure out what cards to put on the reserve list, you know, rares and uncommons were some of the first to go because they thought that they would just, you know, never actually print these cards again. Yeah. Like, Clay, you were just looking through the reserve list. What were some of the awesome stuff that you saw that you would actually get a chance to get? Um, 
I mean, there's a lot of cool stuff on here. There's a lot of cards on here that I actually play. Um, and a lot of cards that honestly, like, aside from people who have like 500 copies of them sitting in their basement because they think that they're actually worth something, no one would actually care if they got reprinted. Um, like, let's see, even just finding a random card on here. Um, Draconian Silex. You discard a card at random and pay some mana and tap it to regenerate one of your creatures. Like, why is this even on the reserve list? That's my question. We were actually talking about Urtes Familiar in Sidisi. Yeah, like, there's some really cool cards on here that... Okay, 90% of the cards on the reserve list, it doesn't matter that they're on the reserve list because they're so cheap anyway. It's that other 10% that would be absolutely incredible to have. But in the same token... If that's the case, then why don't Wizards just break down their reserve list instead of going... Look, let's put it like this. If there's, if you've got like a thousand cards and like 950 of them are locked away because 50 of the other ones were too damn good to play, just put the fucking too damn good ones on the ones that you won't reprint. I mean, it's like we said earlier, before, right before you showed up. Watsy made a promise that they would do this, and... It's important that Watsi keeps their promises, is what they say. Mm. Like, if we, if Watsi promise, if something bad happens and Watsi has to promise, yeah, no, 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 it's okay, we promise, we're going to take care of this, this will never happen again. We, you know, people are going to look at the reserve list and go, well, you said you would never take down the reserve list, how good's your promise now? I agree that it's kind of a flimsy reason, but it's also a, a legit one, you know? Mm. But in the same token... It's like, I can understand why the reserve list is there, because they had this thing, and they put it up, and they were hesitant. They were kind of, like, hasty about doing it, I'm just, I'm going with. It's like, they probably had time to think about everything that they were going to put there, but in the same token, because by doing the reserve list the way they did, they could have easily just went through and say, okay, X cards are now going to be on the reserve list, and any future cards from these sets that happen to go over X amount of price in dollars, or whatever the case may be, will potentially all go onto the reserve list as well. Similar to how they do the abandoned restricted the, list. That's not how they do the abandoned restricted list, though. I know. Like, I didn't say... I said similar. I said similar. Like, the abandoned restricted list, these are cards that are powerful that needed to be gone because they were bad designs. Well, these are a group price, of cards that were really good design, but, you know, a little bit too much for the game. The only thing determining whether it was put on the reserve list or not. Like, the point of wanting to get rid of the reserve list is to bring down the prices of these cards. So adding more cards to it based on pricing is completely counterproductive. Well, it's not just bringing down the price. If they, The idea of taking out the reserve list would mean, hey, we can actually get a lot of these cards into more people's hands. Yeah. The pricing would help with a lot of stuff like Sliver, like Sliver Queen. Hold on a second. I have a point there. I did say that the pricing would be, like, cars printed in these sets from, where, what set did the reserve list stop at? Uh, Saga. Urza's Block. Yeah. So everything from Alpha, everything, every card from Alpha to Urza's Block Destiny, or wherever that is, has the potential of going on this reserve list. If these cards go over this point and they end up becoming detrimental to the game, then we will put them up there. This keeps cards like Jason, whatever, from ever hitting it because they're new. These are recent fuck-ups that they've done. Ah, uh, no follow-up? Okay. So... There's a follow-up. I had a car. But these are recent fuck-ups that they've done. And since these are recent mess-ups that they've done, these are cards they can just either, A, just reprint and bring the price down, or, B, they could just go ahead and 
accept it as it is and just put it on a on a reserve oh, not the reserve on the ban list like they knew now. So reserve list, if it went away, it would just be fantastic to not to get you know like a, the uh, the Sliver Queen and not have to pay. I think it's forty to fifty now. It's fairly expensive. Yeah, I will say though, when they did Vintage Masters online. It really helped a lot. A lot of the dual lands came crashing down when they did that. You can get like a tundra for I think five bucks now. Actually, I want to check MTGO traders real quick. Mm. MTGO traders being the site where I get all of my cards for online. <laughs> tundra Vintage Masters goes for seven twenty. Not bad. A tundra for seven twenty online. That is like that's better than shock lands and paper. Actually, I want to look at the shock lands real quick. Hallowed Fountain from Return of Ravnica Online goes for $3. Continue on with the damn topic. Well, there's not much else to say about the damn topic because the other thing about the reserve list is that I just think that Watsy doesn't lose a whole lot by taking out the reserve list. Like, do you guys disagree with that? No. Like, one of the points is that with enough popular support, they actually did revise the reserve list and bring some stuff to print that was, you know, highly demanded. They actually could just shrink it down and give us a lot of these cards that people want. But that's my own little... It's not a soapbox. It's just more my aside, I guess, on the reserve list. There wasn't, there wasn't a whole lot to actually say about it because I can't think of anyone who actually wants the reserve list anymore. The only people who actually want the reserve list to stay around are the people who are hoarding the cards that are high-dollar cards that are on it in an effort to be able to cash out of them should they ever need the money. Whereas the rest of us are just like, well, we don't want to spend $150 on a Tundra. So, well, Tundras are even more expensive than that now, right? Um, But on like a Bayou or an Underground Sea, just because we want to smooth out our mana base just a little more. Granted, we have a ton of viable alternative options, but none of them are as efficient. And we just don't want to have to pay egregious amounts of money. And also with the wording that they have at a reserve list also kind of prevents them from making a version of the card that's better. You know? It's one of those things where it's like, if that part wasn't there, I wouldn't care because it could have just been like, all right, well, we're just going to print this card with an upside of just have the card and either scry on it or, I don't know, have it produce a extra mana or a life point or something, but it does the same thing. Alright, so that's about it for the reserve list. Guys, did you have anything you actually, you know, any other thoughts or opinions on the said reserve list? Down with the reserve list. As long as we Oops. actually get reprints of the stuff that is on it. Alright, yeah. then. We're going <laughs> on to our strategy segment, and we're going to talk about situational cards, dead cards, and everything in between. Stay tuned, everyone. We'll be right back. You know what card is situationally amazing, but also not a dead card? What? Um, stuff that says, like, and each permanent with the same name as that one. What, you mean like Maelstrom Pulse? Like Maelstrom Pulse, and Echoing Truth, and Sever the Bloodline. Yeah, you're actually right. It's like, people look at it and be like, well, people are only playing, like, one-ofs, and it's just like, well, people might be playing the same card. You might get to, uh, three-fur. A Maelstrom Pulse on Soul Rings, you know? People, people might just be playing tokens? Yeah. Like, that's the big one. Yeah. My favorite one is Sever the Bloodline, just because it says Exile. On. It's yeah, great. it stops Omnath from going off.
So, I've been playing the alphabet for a couple of weeks now. I'm having a lot of fun. And I'm noticing that a lot of the situational cards that I was really eager to kind of replace and move on from actually have some punch behind them. That is to say, you know, I was playing like the Circles of Protection, which is pay a mana and you can prevent all the damage from a source of that caller. The card is actually really powerful, but it was one that I was actually considered cutting for just running more basic lands over because I kind of have this thing where I don't like dead draws. I don't like going, okay, there's no one playing black at this table, and I have a circle protection black in my hand. Uh, this card, I literally just time walk myself because I didn't get to draw a card. Hmm. Now, the thing is, though, these cards are, they're, they're stupid when you don't get to use them, but when they are in the situation that they're good in, they're really friggin' good. You know, I was mentioning it earlier, when you have like the giant ballot player or the on that player, and you have your circle protection green, your circle protection red, the potency of just saying, okay, I'm going to pay a mana to negate your bolt of me, or I'm going to keep Ashlyn away, or anything like that, I have ne- I'd never really appreciated just how powerful cards like that are. And Clay, you were actually telling me that you play the circle protections when you were playing a white enchantress deck. Oh yeah. Um a long time ago, like I guess it must have been three years ago at this point, um, I had a really pretty terrible um eight and a half tails enchantress deck built. Basically you would pillow fort up and you would use eight and a half tails' abilities to protect your permanence while you assembled a winning board of some combination of like, you know, mobilization or uh sacred mesa, like it was pretty bad. Um, but anyways, I originally had the Circles of Protection in there, and then I found, you know, they were really strong. Like, especially if you have ways of finding them. Like, oh, everyone at this table shares a single color. Let's go find that one. Let's just stick it on the board and see if anyone can deal with it. Like, if anyone wins based on damage, it can just kind of lock them out really easily. So, Kevin, have you had experience with playing cars like this? Well, there are a lot of cards of magic that do happen to fall into this category. And yes, because of the way my deck building and my deck design sometime occur, I do have to play a couple of them every so often. Because, you know, it's just one of those things where, like, uh, let's see here. What's, what's a good situational card that I've actually played? Damn it, I gotta, uh, I've gotta actually think about it because I'm still in the process of walking and I can't look it up. Give me, like, five minutes. Okay. Maybe. So, a, a, good, a good description of, you know, cards that situation like that. For me, when I was doing the alphabet and I was looking at a lot of this stuff, was a lot of the color hosers, you know? A lot of mm. the, you know, uh, black ward, red ward, white ward, blue ward, which, incidentally, weren't on moto, so I had, so that was five empty slots I had to fill basic lands when I built the deck online. But actually, it would have been really good to, for Avacyn, since, you know, if no one's playing black, then it's kind of a, a wasted spot. But when someone is playing black, then it actually helps Avacyn avoid being Doombladed. You know, she can block demons for me. All that really cool stuff. Yeah. You know, it's, and like I mentioned uh, earlier, some dangly bit type information. The guy, the uh, Jeskai player who just couldn't draw his islands, actually just gets completely locked out of another color when I play Conversion, which turns all mountains into Oh, planets. gosh. <laughs> Why? Because technically, he's still making white, 
which is a color that he can, you know, play normally. He just doesn't get the other two colors. Mm. When someone, when you're playing against people who aren't playing red, it's, again, it's another dead card. There's just <laughs> no reason to actually play it. Mm. But as soon as someone has red, you can play it, and it's like, well, it sucks to be you. Like, Ashland isn't going to be able to pump herself up if she can't actually, you know, use mountain power. Yeah. You know, the Quorum spell is one that I t- took out because I just didn't want the to give the impression that I was playing the Quorum spell or work Elishnorn combo. <laughs> but if See, people... Matt, you mentioned mountains, the first thing that comes to my mind is Blood Moon. Oh, Blood Moon. Blood Moon is another is another type of hate card, but I don't see it as... But it's not, it's not narrow. It's not as like, narrow. Like, almost every deck can be affected by it in some capacity. Yeah, and to a lesser extent, you can talk about you know some other cards that are playable in a much more broader sense. You know, mm. Calvin, you know, jokingly talked about frogs when we were just when he came in, but yeah. those are also kind of situational cards where it's like, okay, I need these to prevent myself from getting knocked out here. But yeah. then, but when you need to kill something or when you need to progress the board state or you need to not lose and you know you know, just kind of come back. They're not really helping. You know, if you're playing in a one, one game, it's a lose less card because you mm. haven't really affected the board. Yeah, I play them you just al- prevented yourself from dying and potentially messed with someone's plans. Yeah. Now I play them in decks like a Tarka because the idea is that you know once a Tarka's eaten someone, someone's going to try and crack back on me. And I want the, the fog protection so I can so I know who to aim a Tarka at next. Yeah. But that's a situation type effect. Then you also get you know those cards late game that aren't that great early game. You know, we said one of the reasons that the Malsham Wanderer is one of the most powerful commanders ever is because you get free value off of it. You know, when you hit, even when you hit ramp spells off a Malsham Wanderer, that just means that you can ca- recast Malsham Wanderer. When you get other commanders that have those ramp type effects, when it's something like an Azusa, hey, I want to go ahead and drop all the lands so that every, all my bombs can be played, late game ramp spells don't help. Hmm. Uh, back to the discussion of the fog. I want to toss this in there. Like, yes, fog does prevent you from losing to, like, dam- combat damage or whatever the case may be. But when you're playing against, like, say, a combo deck, it doesn't matter because you probably aren't losing the combat damage. Or if you're playing out someone who actually has built a mill deck, it ain't gonna, it, combat damage, fog doesn't matter anymore. Mm. You know? Yeah. There's other decks, there's decks out there where it's like, yeah, fog is situational, but it can very easily just become like, well, yeah, you got his eight, you got a, Oh, uh, what's his name? Jay Z. Commander. Oh no, not uh, no. Who was it? I I know who you're talking Wait, about. Wait, just said him. Uh, I know who you're talking about, but I can't place the name. What was it? Like, like, what was the legendary uh, commander you were talking about? The the blue, white, green one that prevents damage. It's the it's it's Tim. It's the guy who looks like Tim. What was it? Clay. Clay. Clay still here, or is he just muted? Uh, he may be he- muted. Agus McKenzie. There we go. I'm going to cut all that stuff out and just put that there. So, yeah, Agus McKenzie, Repeatable Fog. Repeatable Fogs are nice. Oh, he had the BRB. So, yeah, doing stuff like... But getting recurring fogs like Spore Frog and... Uh, there was a one one Spirit who did the same thing. This is bugging me. I need to look the Spirits. Riveting. Riveting show. Prevent... All damage, searching, Kamiya False Hope. Okay, so cards like Kamiya False Hope and, and Spore Frog. Those are better than, you know, just like a regular Fog because they're guys, and guys can attack and block. 
and carry swords. See, there was another type of situational card. Pyroblast! Pyroblast is another situational type card. You know, for some red decks, it actually just doesn't do anything if no one's playing blue. But the moment that someone's playing blue out there, your Pyroblast becomes amazing. Yeah, but you know, it's also nice because, you know, the blue players don't ever expect it because no one ever plays it. There's also, you know, just the stuff like the Manatide, the whole, let's see, it's the Force Spike in white. You know, we joke all the time about, you know, oh, you better leave one up for Manatide, or the person who's playing white goes, wait, I responses? Manatide? They're not actually playing it, but but just the idea that they could be playing it is something of an in-joke in my group. And then we actually had someone come down and play a Sunforger deck with Manatide in it, and they got someone. And as soon as that happened, everyone started leaving one man open anytime this guy sat down. Because he actually would just play Manatide. Yes, Manatide. I'm trying to think of what other cards would fall into this kind of situational type gap. Because like, the whole reason I'm playing Creature Ramp... Listen, cards that would fall into a situational type gap that go after, like, Manatide? Isn't that, um... Isn't there, like, a card that turns off, like a flood card or something like that? I know it's a blue card, it just turns like all the stuff into islands or something. Um... Let's see, I know this is Spreading Seas that turns a single land into an island. Uh, there's a, there's a, uh, I don't remember. There's a Riptide Leviathan that turns all lands into islands, then it keeps creatures without island walk or, fl- or flying from attacking. Ooh, there's, there's, a, there's a style that we can go with. Landwalk. Landwalk is situational. If you have, like, mountain walk or island walk, that's a thing. But if your opponents don't have a mountain or they don't play islands, then, you know, your creature with island walk is just a regular-ass creature. Right. And that's a type of situational effect where it's like, yeah, even if it's not relevant, I still have the creature. But it actually just gets a lot better when you're in a situation where your guy can swamp walk. You know, there's Rex Seal. You can build Rex Seal so that the swamp walk is more of a built-in invasion type thing with Urborg. Like, you actually set that situation up. But when they actually just have islands or swamps, Rexio loves going to town on that. Yeah, but I'm thinking of a card kind of like a... Oh, yeah. Similar like Trailblazer's Boots, you know? Mm-hmm. You're like, yes, it does work because your opponents may have lands on the field that are non-basics. But if Trailblazer's yeah. Boots is out there and no one plays a non-basic land because Trailblazer's Boots is out there, you have an equipment you paid mana for that does nothing. Yeah, but it can also deter people from playing their non-basics. Well, I actually think people are going to play most of their non-basics anyway, because that's what most decks are going to play, unless they're monocolored. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. So, where are you guys on the spectrum of, yeah, I'll play this corner case card if it's powerful enough, versus the case is too corner, I'm just going to avoid that card. Because I was very much in the camp of, this card doesn't do anything in some games, I would rather not touch it before mm. I started playing these circles of protection. Well, I think... But you can't, you can't if, just generalize like that, because you know, like if, each card kind of fits into that category. It's like, yes, it's awesome in this one situation, and it may be playable, but there's a handful of other cards that are just not good, ever, even when that situation does occur. I think it really, uh, really depends on the deck, because if you have some sort of like toolbox build already, it's going to be much easier for you to find those situationally good cards. If you're just hoping to randomly draw into them, then probably not as much, because then they will actually just be dead draws. 
All right. So did you guys have anything else you wanted to add about, you know, situational cards or anything like that? Don't be afraid to play them. They can sometimes be really funny. Uh, if you are going to play them, then, you know, you may also want to include a couple of other cards that help set up those situations. So this way, even if your opponents aren't doing it, you can kind of make them do it. All right. So that wraps up this thing. Next up, we're going to go into some of the individual situational cards that we enjoy playing. Stay tuned, everyone. We'll be right back. Alright, so situational type cards. Calvin, did you have situational type cards that you enjoyed playing with? I didn't even realize we were doing this topic. So, we're going to go ahead and start naming off some pretty situational cards. And the first one that I'm going to start off with is one of my favorites, and this is something that really took off with the Noyan Dar deck. Teferi's Response. For one in blue, it's an instant from an invasion. Counter-target spell or ability an opponent controls that targets the land you control. If a permanent's ability is countered this way, destroy that permanent, draw two cards. So, in a Noyan Dar deck where your lands are already being targeted with kill effects, this is actually just a way to counter that and draw, not only replace the card, but draw an additional card. When your opponent uses, you know, creature effects to try and get rid of it, like they have a Royal Assassin or Infernal Titan, or back in the olden days, the uh, Sylvan Primordial, you could just go to various response and actually just kill their thing and draw two cards. Like the, like the whole destroying an effect is really cool and all, but the fact that you just draw two cards is like a slap in the face after you've kicked them in the nuts. <laughs> like, it, it not only counters the ability, it blows up their thing, and you draw cards for two mana. Oh my god, I'm going. To, I'm looking so forward to getting that card in the alphabet when I get around to doing Noyandars. Like that is just hilarious. So Clay, what's a, a corner case card that you enjoy? Um, I think probably my favorite corner case card in the entire game is this goofy, goofy, goofy little card. Um, I actually have one in my binder right here. Um, it is from Judgment. It costs one and a green. It's called Seed Time, and it's an instant. You can only cast Seed Time on your own turn, which is fine. And its effect is take an extra turn after this one if an opponent casts a blue spell this turn. Take an extra turn. So it's a time walk effect at instant speed in green, and the only stipulation is that you can cast on your turn and only if an opponent casts a blue spell on your turn. Which means maybe they countered something, maybe they bounced something. Who cares? I'm going to take this extra turn and laugh in your face. And probably just do whatever it was that you stopped me from doing on this turn, on another turn. You know what I just realized? What? I can put Teferi's Response underneath the Isochron Scepter. Yes, you could. You could put Seed Time under Isochron Scepter. Okay. Oh, um, the other funny part about the way Seed Time is worded is, let's say you, like, pay some mana and cast a thing, and your opponent taps out to, like, cast Rewind on that first thing, in response to the rewind, before they get to untap their lands, you can be like, seed time, I'm going to take an extra turn, before you can untap the counter. Mm. It's fun. It's fun. That sounds like fun. It is. So, Calvin, do you have a situational card that you enjoy playing with? Okay. A situational card in red. Search for survivors. It's two colors in a red, and it's a sorcery. And search for survivors reads, 
Reorder your graveyard at random. An opponent chooses a card at random in your graveyard. If it's a creature card, put it onto the battlefield. Otherwise, exile it. What? So basically, what Search for Survivors is, is like, I paid three mana, and in most games, this card isn't going to do a damn thing for me at all. <laughs> in fact, what's going to happen is I'm probably going to lose something. And it's going to go to exile, and then I wasted three mana, and I've lost a card. But that's most games. Now, that's very corny case. That's very situational. I have no control over it. It's random. My opponent has no control over it. The card he picks is he or she, not being sexist, ladies. The card he or she picks at random is is also at random, so I have no control over it. But because you get to reorganize your graveyard, and then they have to pick a card, and it has to be a creature. If your graveyard has nothing but creatures in it, you're good. If your graveyard only has one creature in it, you're good. So for those times when your opponent exiles your graveyard and then someone decides to kill your primeval titan or kill your inferno titan, then you just pay three mana. Inferno titan shows right back up. <laughs> it's especially good if you control what's in your graveyard. Uh, it's actually especially good when someone like plays Bajugabog, exiles your graveyard, thinking they're being slick. Then they kill, like, <laughs> your biggest creature, thinking that they're being slick, and then you just cast it, and it just shows back up, and it's like, hmm. Well, now they're going to be real slick, because they're slick up the pavement. All right, so the other cards that I wanted to talk about were, of course, the Circle of Protection, which are the two-mana enchantment cycle from original Alpha, no less, that just say, pay one, and then you can prevent all the damage from a source of your choice. And the next time. Yeah, the next time you, you, the next time a source would deal damage to you, just stop it. So if I'm being targeted by like three Omnath bolts because I decided to just wrath the board, then I can go ahead and pay three mana and negate all that points. But I just negated nine damage for three mana if I have red or green out. The thing is that they don't really have any use if the colors aren't there. Like, you know, for some reason I'm playing with crazy people and there isn't a red deck at the table. Fortunately, Clay's turned me onto something pretty cool. Clay, what do you use? Um, well, if you go a little bit further down the uh, the road of protection enchantments, um, when you hit Urza's Saga, there's another cycle of almost functional reprints of them called the Runes of Protection, um, which cost one and a white. Instead of costing a generic mana to activate, they cost a white mana. So it's a little bit more restrictive. But there are two perks to it. One of them is that we get to extend our cycle and we get a Rune of Protection lands, which is actually quite relevant with Noandara existing. Um, and they also have cycling two. So if no one's playing Noandara, you just pay two mana and replace your Rune of Protection lands with another one. If no one else is playing uh, white at the table, you can just cycle your Rune of Protection white. That's... And it's just not a dead draw. It's... That's I love that so much. It's it's just a strict upgrade for mono white decks. And yeah, like how how can you go wrong with these? You can't. No, you can't. You you go wrong by not playing all of them. Yeah, that would be the thing. Unless you're you know you just have a really heavy black meta or anything like mm-hmm. that. Like when I was back in college, every everyone had a fucking vampire deck. Like I actually <laughs> just built a pro black deck and called it the Buffy's the, the Buffy deck. I'll explain, because I had to kill all the vampires with it. Mm. So, Clay, do you have a second one for us? Um, my second ones, um, these actually see a bit of play in, like, Legacy and Vintage on occasion. Um, the Elemental Blasts, they come in two, two flavors. You've got red, and you've got blue. And there are basically four of these cards. Red Elemental Blast, Blue Elemental Blast, Hydro Blast, and Pyroblast. Um, 
let's make sure I get these straight. Blue Elemental Blast. Um, so Blue Elemental Blast and Red Elemental Blast um, cost one mana of their respective colors, and they say choose one. Um, so Blue Elemental Blast is counter target red spell or destroy target red permanent. And Red Elemental Blast is counter target blue spell or destroy target blue permanent. So they literally just kind of shit on each other. <laughs> and the, uh, the Hydroblast and Pyroblast ones are slightly more interesting because they say, like, counter target spell if it's blue or destroy target permanent if it's blue. So you can cast them targeting anything if you, like, just want a Noyan Dar trigger. Um, you could cast your Blue Elemental Blast targeting Noyandar, or your Hydro Blast targeting Noyandar, or anything else on the board, and it won't actually destroy it if it's not red, but you still get your, like, Awakening Trigger, or your Prowess Trigger, or whatever. Um, does mean misdirections and redirects are slightly more annoying, because they can literally target anything, but Hydro Blast and Pyro Blast are slightly less narrow, because you can still get utility out. Hydroblaster. Ooh, hoo, hoo, hoo. So much water. Very water. <laughs> much wet. Very water. Wow. Mm-hmm. Someone likes getting wet. All right. Calvin, were you able to find a second one? Uh, let's see here. You know what? I'm going to go with Explorer's Scope. Mm. It's an artifact. It costs one mana, and it's an equipment, and it costs one to equip. And Explorer Scope reads, whenever equipped creature attacks, look at the top card of your library. If it's a land, you may put it onto the battlefield tapped. That's it. Now, in order for this card to work, one, you have to be willing to attack, which is something I'm always willing to do. And two, you have to come to the realization that chances are you're going to get a chance to look at the top card of your library, and a lot of times you're not getting anything out of it. You're just going to be attacking. But in certain situations, like say, for instance, in a deck that needs to be able to ramp, and doesn't actually have mana dorks. Or, like, if you're playing white and you need to get lands. It's a nice kind of a... It's kind of a nice way for all colors that aren't green to have access to be able to potentially put in more lands on their turn than normal. Hmm. But it's not guaranteed. And in most situations, the only time it's ever really good for you is if you've gotten a chance to, like, you know, previously look at the top card and you kind of know what it is. Yeah. Like, if you play Goblin Recruiter, and you just go rip up all your goblins and just slap them on top of your library, this card ain't going to do anything for at least that many turns. Mm. But if you are playing this and you have, like, Oracle of Madayo out there, something where you can, like, have Future Sight, we can look at the top li- top of your library, and you know it's a land, oh, you can get a free land this turn. All you have to do is attack with a token or swing with an indestructible guy or, you know, just find a way to turn someone sideways during combat, and you're good. Yeah, no, I can see that. In some ways, it's kind of like a hit or miss, sort of the Animus. Well, the Animus is actually just better in every way because it guarantees that you're going to be able to ramp and grow something. But yeah. at least with the Explorer's Scope, you have a chance of getting like a non-basic land into play off of it. Mm. And just being a, and just attacking multiple times means that you're going to hit see some success with it at some point. <laughs> and honestly, more attacking is more good. Alright, so we're going to go ahead and end it there. So... Situational cards like, like that, go ahead and send us some of your situational cards, you know, kind of the corner case scenarios where you think these cards are good, and we'll be sure to at least think about it. Uh, I'm not really sure what I'm going to do with that information per se, but it's something I'll definitely keep in mind. I love you guys, and I love... I'll do that. Yeah, I... Okay, I need to redo that. Take two. Take two. <clears throat> 
Alright, so now that we're done talking about situational cards, we've been out this for about an hour and a half. We're through all three topics, so guys, deal with that means. It's time for us to take this TV out here. Okay, so... We didn't get to talk about Power Leech. Power Leech? Is that the one that actually takes off infect counters? No. Uh, no, Leech is an just enchantment that gives you life counter. when, uh... An artifact your opponent's opponent do down artifact tap. stuff. Without tapping, let's see. Or opponent activates an artifact's ability without tapping its activation cost. You gain one life. So, if, you know, your meta has a really huge artifact-based deck... Wow. It completely that's... shuts down a blasting station. Wow. Well, let's see. Is there a way that they could actually know? Because they have to use other artifacts to get the combo off, too. Mm-hmm. So even if they try and do it in response to the trigger, then they still have to give you more life to actually get it off. Okay, so you're actually just getting, like, how many combos are in... How many cards are in that combo? Like, bare minimum, like, three? Uh, three at minimum, I think. And, um... So you heal yourself every time they try and... Pick. Four at minimum, um... That only gives them two triggers per iteration, but that's still more life than your dealing damage. Wow, talk about the corner case. <laughs> it completely turns off Rotterruin, too. Yes, yes it does. Sorry to say. Aw, but I was, so ha- I was so excited to use Rotterruin to actually win games this week. <laughs> Alright, so we're going to go ahead and do this out. Trothine? That's why you make sure you kill Trothine. people with Rotterruin before this episode airs. They don't know the tech. Hmm. So, this is Bank Commander Camp, season 235. I want to go ahead and thank both my guys for showing up today. Calvin Clay, thanks for showing up today. Yeah, no problem. Boobs. Alright, so let's go ahead and pass out some contact information. Calvin, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they do that? Oh, he actually remembered to access this week? I yeah. feel special. I'm surprised. Alright, so everybody out there, if you want to get in contact with me, my name is Calvin. I'm also known as Captain Rizzo around the internet, and it's very easy to find me. All you gotta do is go over to Twitter, hit me up at Captain Rizzo, or you can hit me up in an email at Gmail at Captain, Re- at Captain Redzone at Gmail.com. I think that's the first time I've actually fucked up my own outro. Captain Rizzo! Going Hadouken on this. Hadouken! You can also go over to Facebook, Commandercast has a Facebook page. And we also are on Stitcher for you Android listeners. And you can potentially find us on iTunes. So if you happen to have Apple devices, you can find us there as well. You just have to dig a little deeper. You've got to go through, like, the MTG cast feed to get it there. But, yeah, you know, we're, we're there. Yeah, we don't mind. No, we do not. So, Clay, if people want to reach you, how can they do that? Uh, people can find me on Reddit and the Twitter and the Gmail as EDHPanda. Uh, my girlfriend Mallory and I also occasionally stream on Twitch as Pandalpaca. We have a Twitter if you want to get updates from us when we go live, and it's down in the show notes. Alright, and you want to get in touch with me, you can follow me on at BlueRam1409 on the Twitter. You can also email me, WIEHernandez at gmail.com. Like Calvin said, CommanderCast has a, a Facebook. You can also follow us on the Twitters, we're at CommanderCast. There's also a Reddit. You can also support us, you know, on the Patreon. If you want to go ahead, if you want to see these from Alpha Build videos that I'm making early, go ahead and become a $5 tier donator. You guys are going to get to see these, I want to say, somewhere between a few days to a week before they go up on YouTube. 
And if you're donating at least $10 a month, this is where I'm going to be posting the bonus videos. So far for the original Alpha build, I'm just going to put up the first, you know, test game thing I did with the Alpha build, which you'll see the one-on-one -on -one game I did, and then the group game that followed after that. And now I'm still going to, I still have to record the bonus episode with a Radio Nights edition that I have currently. Alright, so what are the tiers looking like now, William? Uh, let's then, see. Because tier one is give us the tip, just a tip. For any of the individuals out there who just want to throw out a dollar. Because, you know, we'll take the tip. And, you know, if a little extra happens to slip in, we won't complain. What's next? Well, let's see. After that, it's two more, which is, in fact, whoops, a little extra slipped in. Then we have the $3 tier, which, you know, guys, thank you so much for spending a whole booster pack on us. We've got a few people out there. We've got a few people at $5, and then... Hold the on, hold on, hold on. For the $3 one, can you um, go back and rename it to Pack It In? I think I will. Or, 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 like, you know, gave us the package. There we go. The booster package. I'll come up with a better way, way to come up with, to write that out. That was clumsy at best, sir. And then surprisingly... Hey, hey, I'm working here, damn it. And then surprisingly enough, the one that we have the most of is the $10 tier pledge. So I'm really going to work hard to make sure that, that the $10 bonus videos are something special. Because the fact that we have more people supporting $10 a month than any other tier is kind of amazing. Mm. It also says that we don't have a lot of pictures, so... <laughs> I'm hoping that the fact that Yeah, we but it does say that the ones that do support do care. Enough to give you ten bucks, which is just amazing. Again, so I have been promising this, and it's someone called my attention to it. And apparently, I've been looking at the wrong page this whole time or something, because we have two five-star reviews for me to read off on air. One of them from MTG Board of Leaves. It says the undisputed king of Commander Podcast. Will, Will Cabin Clay and Mark produce amazing Commander content while keeping you chuckling or outright laugh. Great insights and hidden gems for both the new and entrenched Commander player. I wonder who will read this before the 118 podcast. Hi, Mom. I'm on the podcast. <laughs> oh, damn. Uh, so 118? 118, yeah. That's, uh, 118. That, that's, how, that's how long it's been since you've looked at the... Um, is, is that really what, how long it's been? What, what, what's the year on that one? It's a 2016. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, I was like, that's our first five-star review. William never read it. <laughs> So, there is a second one here that says, Knowledgeable and entertaining from Noah. These guys do a great job discussing important happenings in the Commander community. So, thanks guys. And, like I said, if I happen to miss a five-star review, don't be afraid to message me on the Twitter. Maybe I'm actually just secretly testing you to see if you're paying attention to whether I'm doing this or not. You know, sticking around. He's not. He, he, he's not. He just forgot. He just forgot. Don't, don't let listeners, don't let don't William let him try to bullshit you. you. Don't let him try to bullshit you into thinking that he's smarter than what he actually is. No, he's not that smart. See, that, see that's the kind of thing where it would have taken a lot more planning than William is functionally, mentally capable of. No. <laughs> he, just, he just fucked up, and he just refuses to admit it. Or am I pretending to have fucked up by covering it up so that you think I fucked up, when in reality it was all part of my cover plan? Nope, you just fucked up. That is also a great possibility. You, you trying to claim that it's an elaborate ruse is an elaborate ruse. Oh god, this is making my head hurt. It's like looking logic all over again. Alright, so big thanks to everyone here at the Commander Cast Network. You know, uh, right now we're hitting a, a bit of a. Well, we. Um, if you were a fan of Squadcast at all, I went ahead and sent Matt an email asking him, you know, what was going on. Turns out he actually just has a new job. It's like, I want to say, an hour and a half commute. Which, which apparently the job is worth it, but that's kind of a bitch of a commute. So, he said that Squadcast episodes are going to be coming out 
in the soon-ish, once he works out the schedule with his friends. But, you know, life just happens. We understand that. It doesn't keep anyone on our staff from being completely awesome. Music for our show is the X Meets Heavy Metal Series by 331 Iraq. We'll see you next week for more community, strategy, and technology. Until then, let's get it! chance to tell the listeners that uh there's a good chance that mark might not be coming back for a while uh yes in the intro i did say that which means that i'm going to hit up aaron did you say it yeah i did i don't remember uh pretty sure i did i wasn't here galvin do you want to say it just in case uh no good i'm pretty sure you can handle this with your clever planning mr mastermind mr rouge (laughs) all right well i can't be rogue rogue southern all right so just in case I didn't say it before, Mark did send us an email saying that he's in kind of a magic slump right now. Right now, he's at that point of the year where he can't really get out of the house to play a lot of Commander. So he doesn't really feel like he can add a lot to the conversation. So he'll be coming on for future episodes where he does, you know, have some insight and he wants to share. But we're not going to force him to go through the episodes where he's just kind of sitting in the background going, yeah, I, I, I'm sorry, guys, I just don't have much to add. So we'll be looking for more guests to go ahead and fill that hole in our commander cast slot, and we'll also. Does that hole need yeah. to be filled? Yes. Give our... us the tip, <laughs> and just the tip, ladies and gentlemen. That's right, one dollar, and you can be in that hole. Oh, it makes us sound like a cheap harlot. So we are officially in post dangle bits. Any new shows you gentlemen have had a chance to watch? Actually, I just started a, watching a brand new one called Luck and Logic. So, uh, one of the uh, the main game companies in Japan is called Bushiroad. They're the ones that make Weiss Schwartz, which is the Animu game that I play. They also make Animu. Yeah, they all like Haruhik just came out. They have Monogatari. It's got Madoka and Nanaha, which I play. Fairy Tale. So they just came out with a brand new game called Luck and Logic, and of course, there's an anime tied to it, which you can, which you can find on uh, Funimation. Like, like that's the whole thing. Like they actually, they're actually also an anime studio. So things like Love Live, uh, which are just original anime, they can make card games for it without any trouble getting the license. Because hey, we happen to own the license for the anime too. Yeah. And then they also, you know, just make anime for their card games, like Card Fight Vanguard, Buddy Fight, stuff like that. Oh, it's those guys. Yeah, it's those guys. So they made one for Luck and Logic, which is, I think, it's more. Fantasy based and actual card based. There are like cards in it, but I don't think I don't think they're the focus. But it's basically the chessiest mind game trick card game that I've seen. Like you have six territories you have to protect with the, in the game, and you have to, uh, and you have characters that defend those gates for you. 
but when you get into character on character fight, you know those episodes of Yu-Gi-Oh where they play like a million traps one after the other, where it's like, yeah. I activate my spell card. Well, you fell into my trap. Well, I had a trap to counter your trap. Ah, but that, now that triggers my creature's effect. It's kind of like that, where you're you know kind of bluffing each other on a war style campaign. Like it's weird, but it's also really bluff heavy, I guess. Like it's called luck and logic because the luck is. Hey, when you break open a gate, your opponent gets some sort of effect, so you better be lucky that they don't get something that just completely wrecks you. Mm-hmm. But the logic is, okay, I need to try and think of a couple steps ahead to engineer it so that I can win this key battle. I'm watching the show, and the show is kind of like about these, uh, these characters who have a rare ability to understand the data and language of beings from beyond the world, which includes gods. So the main character, who is apparently a returning uh, they call them logicalists or something like that. He was actually a part of this unit which fights the evil forces that are coming through and possessing people. But he broke his limiter or something and he had to retire for a few years. But now he's come back because they managed to re- rebuild his power. Mm-hmm. And he, he basically turns into a guy with an impenetrable shield because he partners with Athena. But there's also like a, a girl who partners with a cat, so she turns into like a cat girl type thing. There's the cleric. Of and I actually kind of really dig it because I really dig partner shows, you know? Shows where the main character has someone that they connect with on a spiritual and power level, and their power comes from, from that bond. Mm. I don't want to say Pokemon Digimon light type thing, but kind of like a JoJo's Bizarre Adventure or a Yu-Gi-Oh type thing where they do are of like two spirits, one mind type thing. <laughs> so that's what I've been watching. Although I've also been watching Nanaha Strikers, which is more or less magical girls. Only the magic is is incredibly super high tech, and oh, these girls are also part of a military unit. So what have you been up to, Calvin? So what have you been up to, Clay? Not much. <laughs> uh, let's see here. In March, I plan to do something on March 19th. Hmm. I'm going to be going off to a small building. I'm going to take a 30-minute class in which I'm then going to be strapped up with a whole bunch of different style equipment, taken out into a field forced onto a giant metal aviational craft, go up into the air about 9,000 to 14,000 feet, and then then get jumped out of it. Uh, Wait, (laughs) you're going skydiving? Yeah. How how did this happen? It's being Um, adventurous. Clay, how's the apartment with Mallory? Uh, well... Have you guys moved in together yet? Um, because it is student apartments... The lease doesn't actually begin until August, so we're still living in our campus housing for the rest of this year, and then, which it does suck. Um, and then we'll figure out what we're going to do for the summer, probably involving some capacity of staying at our parents' places, and then finally moving in together in August. It'll be great. <laughs> hell yeah. Love you, Mallory. Calvin says hell yeah. Aw, oh, man. I'm actually quite envious of you guys like ashley and i are at that point where we've been together long enough that naturally we should be living together at this point mm. but on the other point neither of, neither of us is making enough that we could afford our own place particularly mm. since she still has to go to graduate school to get her upper degrees yeah and it's just like well she also just when i look at think about it she just has no incentive to actually move out of her house. Like, it's just her and her mom, mm. which is fine most of the time. 
And she also has this really sweet, you know, den set up now. Like, she's got the widescreen yeah. TV and the subwoofers and all that. And just, on the one hand, I understand. Like, financially, it is a smart thing to stay there until she can save up enough, until she can get going for school. Yeah. Once she figures out where she's going for graduate school, if they support, like, spouse apartment living, yeah, then I actually would end up move, moving and going with her. Yeah, like, in that same sort of thing, my sister and her fiancé... Um, have been living in D.C. and doing theater stuff, and I think their plan generally was just, like, um, eventually when one of them ends up going to grad school, which my sister is going to, just, like, both of them moving in that situation. Yeah. It's one of those things, like, I'm looking forward to it, but the back of my head's like, I'm also wondering how long I'm actually just going to have to wait for this. Mm. <sighs> what are you going to do? Interestingly enough, it's act- we actually decided when we were talking about going out, because when we first started talking about going out, it was, I want to say, well, let's see, Monica just came out that year, so it was 2011. So it was actually five years ago when we first started talking about going out. And it took us until August to work through everything before we actually did start going out. Yeah. And one of the things we settled on was that she was going to have to be the one to propose, because (laughs) she was the one who was going to have to decide whether she was ready for it or not. Fair. Like, I'm an eager motherfucker, so I probably would have only waited like two years or something like that. <laughs> and even then, we were only going out with each other because, you know, we're both incredibly lonely bastards. <sighs> uh, word of advice, William. That's yeah. kind of how me and my wife got together because, you know, we were friends. And what was it? Our, on Valentine's Day about 15 years ago, we were each other's Valentines because we didn't have any other Valentines. And we had been that way ever since. No, it's all it's all good now. Like with her, let's see, her towards me, it was more more. Hey, I'm lonely. I've never actually had a bo- boyfriend, so I guess why not? With me, I've actually been you know trying to get her to, to go out with me since high school, a few years before huh. then. Like I, she was a senior, I was a sophomore, and we would had always been good for good friends. At uh, no, that was when we first met. I was a sophomore, and she was a senior in high school. And I spent the next couple of years getting to know her and getting good friends. And of course, whenever I become good friends with someone, of uh, a, well, just most of the girl people I end up becoming friends with, at some point, if I'm available, I become interested in them. But she didn't feel that quite right. Back then, I was like, did you guys ever watch Haruhi Suzumiya? No. Watch that, think about how she acts. And then imagine me like that. That's more or less how I acted, except I couldn't, except I couldn't get people to do what I said. So I was like, Haruhi Suzumiya, but that's the reality warping powers. Like, just total weeb stuff. And I was exhausting for her to be around. But, like, years later, after college starts and all that, I actually calmed down enough to the point where she can consider going out with me. And now that we have been going out for, like, five, four or five years now, it's to the point where, yeah, she would propose to me if she could, but she actually just can't right now because finances. Fair. So, any other anime you guys have been watching lately? <laughs> uh, I haven't gotten a chance to watch any anime lately, but by this time next Thursday, I will have watched a shit ton. Because you know what I'm doing Saturday? Not a goddamn thing. Watch I'm not going to. I'm going to be sitting at home. I'm going to open up. I'm going to pull my Xbox up, and I'm going to fucking relax. You deserve it, dude. Ugh. I'm gonna probably probably sit down with my kids and watch a damn anime. <laughs> Dude, like that those first weeks working at the card shop, I just it, I didn't know what to do with myself on Saturdays anymore. It's like I'm so used to getting up, 
and go into the grocery store, or I'm used to Saturdays being my, the, my day I work at the card shop. But it's like, no, I actually can't just do whatever. I actually just did laundry the other, Saturday, other night because I didn't have anything else to do. Yeah, you know what? That's something else I'm going to get a chance to finally fucking do because I haven't done it in a long time. I actually get my clothes together and go to the goddamn laundromat and wash my shit. <laughs> you know how many? You know how long it's been since I've had a chance to go to the laundromat myself? Like, between going to work and between going to school and then going to work and then having a second job, it's been almost forever since I've had a chance to just take, like, two hours out of my day sitting in front of a machine washing my clothes. You know what? Fuck anime. I'm going to go wash my clothes this weekend. <laughs> or you can get, like, that YouTube Red thing and then download videos and then watch them while you do your laundry. I'm going to – actually, i got Hulu on my phone. I'm going to go to the laundromat and watch <laughs> animes while I wash my clothes. Speaking of my that, Saturday is going to be epic. When I was on the, like, shuttle around campus earlier, there was actually, like, uh, an AT&T advertisement where um, it was literally, like, this woman complaining that her landlord won't fix her washing machine. And the AT&T dude was like, well, good for you. While you're sitting at the laundromat, you can now watch your favorite TV shows using our stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and at, at, at one point, like, she even audibly complains, like, how is this even going to help me with doing my laundry? And gonna... the announcer was like, you can watch your favorite TV shows while you're looking through quarters at the laundromat. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I'm going to head out, guys. Take care. All right. Catch you later, Clay. All right, guys. See ya. Later, Clay. So, anything else you want to discuss with me, William, before we head out? Um, I don't think there's a whole lot. I'm still having a lot of fun with that alphabet videos that I'm working on. Like, I'm, like I'm planning on heading. Oh, that's every another... time you say every time you say that, I keep thinking you're saying it, it sounds to me like you're saying alphabets. You can blame Stark because Stark's the one who came up with, with the alphabet. Yeah, but you keep saying alphabet, but it sounds like you're saying alphabet, like the letters. I mean, it would make sense if I, you know, made a bet with someone about this. Someone goes, oh, I bet you won't actually do this, or I bet you can't actually stick out all these games of Commander with just one Commander. Be like, bitch, that bet is on. Alphabet. <laughs> that, that's so much more clever. Why didn't I come up with that then? Oh, well. I, let's see. On Saturday would be a good time to work on this series if I wasn't going out to Illinois. Actually, do you remember what city Cassie said his gaming goat was in? Uh, nope. Why don't you just hit him up in an email? Pretty sure I'll tell you. I did. Because apparently there's going to be a Weiss Waifu tournament in Schaumburg, Illinois in a couple of months. And that, I was thinking about going, but if that's where Cassidy is, there's no way in hell I'm missing that. Do you hear that, Cassidy? You better watch out. William's coming for you. Gross. All right. Oh, Calvin, did you want to go ahead and touch on the, um, uh, the email from AJ? Uh, no, I thought we were going to do that as, like, a topic for a show. I thought we were, too, and then I was like, well, can I actually make a topic out of that? And then I started thinking about, like, the reserve list and these other stuff, and I was like, well, those would actually make better topics, and we could actually set this as an aside dangle bit or something. Uh, I wasn't even thinking about it. Uh, if that's the case, let me get my computer up, go to my Gmail. Okay, okay. This is AJ, right? Yep, AJ Welch. Okay. All right. So I know it's probably been a while, but, you know, we, we do get our emails. And I did send this to William, and I told him to do something about it. But then he was like, no, we got to do this review. 
was like, okay, fine. Then I sent him an email. Like, we're going to do this, right? He was like, no, we got to do this preview for this new up-and-coming set. I was like, ugh, okay, fine. So now, here it is, February. And suddenly now, William decides that he wants to go over an email that I got, that I informed him of, back in December. Wait, what? Yeah. It, oh, my it God, on... I didn't even realize I was that old. Yeah, I've been telling you. About, I, I emailed you. I told you about it. Nothing. Emailed you again. Told you about it. Nothing. Then I started, and then I was like, okay. And then William had like three weeks planned out for like this set review, and then this set review, and then this thing, and this that. And then we had that snowstorm, so I had to die for a week. So yeah. All right. But that's okay. We're gonna talk about this now. AJ, I got you back, buddy. So, uh, listener AJ sent us an email telling us he, that he enjoys the show. He loves listening to Commander Cast. Commander Cast is by far his favorite. And upon doing so, he wanted to take a few extra minutes and say that if we wanted, we could review his deck ideas for the new Commander 15 commanders. His ideas were for Daxos, Marin, and Mizzet, and they were uploaded onto Tapped Out under the username TheTutor772. Now, if you want to, you can go ahead and probably head down into the show notes, click onto one of these three links, and you can follow along with us as we discuss them. If not, I'm pretty sure we'll just go right ahead and just, you know, keep on trucking as we do. So, which of these three decks do you want to talk about in the Dangly Bits today? Oh, today in the Dangly Bits? It's got to be the Daxos deck, right? Okay, so, let's see here. We'll go to the Daxos. Daxos is returned. Click this link. Wait for it to load. And we will do, and AJ, don't worry. We will get to the other two decks in the next couple dangly bits. Probably be next week and then the week after. So yeah, because William decided he wanted to take forever and I basically told him that this should be the topic for the show tonight. But no, no, no. He decided he wanted to talk about reserve list and wait till Clay gets tired and goes to bed before we actually start to- and talk about corner case scenarios as opposed to talking about actual commander decks. But still, still. Okay. Now what's up? I've got it. Are you ready, Will? Yes, I am. All right, so this deck has a total of 41 enchantments. Its commander is Daxos the Returns. The three drop, it's one colorless, white, black, double, and then two, two attack, two defense, zombie, soldier, and legendary creature. And it's one of those creatures that has one of those experience counters things going on with it. So whenever you cast an enchantment, it gets an experience counter. Then you can pay three mana and put a white-black spirit enchantment creature token onto the battlefield. And that token has text on it that reads, This creature's power and toughness are equal to the number of experience counters you have. Which means, you know, the more enchantments you cast, inevitably, these things just keep growing and growing and growing. And since there's currently no way to get rid of experience counters... All you gotta do is just cast Daxos, activate his ability a couple of times, and you'll just have an army of giant creatures. Sounds good? That's Sounds great. good. Alright, so we have 41 enchantments, and we have four artifacts, one instant, and the instant is, of course, Enlightened Tutor, so we can go find all them enchantments that we really want. There's 16 creatures in it, and of those creatures, one, two, three, four, five, Hold up. Six, seven, nope, nope, six. Nope, yep, seven. So of those 16 creatures, seven of them are also creatures and enchantments. And the other ones are your basic uh, enchantress kind of build that you can get for white and soul sisters. Okay, actually, as an aside, Cassidy did just message me. He said he's in Geneva, which is not the same city that this one is in. Yeah, understandable. Oh, well. So back to the Daxos. Yeah. The first thing I noticed was that there is a small uh, Soul Sisters something in here. And so, of course, I have to check, and it does have Karlov with the Ghost Counts on it. 
And I like what right. he's doing with this. This is a very nice blend of what Daxos wanted to do with that precon and what, you know, Karloff wants to do with all those incidental points of life gain. A lot of the enchantments that he has are really small, and they do a lot of, you know, small incidental things, small incidental life gain triggers, like the Giant's Mantra just gets you one life at the beginning of your upkeep. But then or you the have... Blind Obedience that has the extort um, on it. Yep. But then he also has stuff like the Bitter Blossom, which will trigger the Soul Wardens, which will trigger Karloff. So it actually has a very nice relationship there. He's also got, you know, the uh, the exquisite blood. Whenever an opponent loses life, you gain that much life. So having that yeah. out with some of the extort, some of these small trigger th- things like the um, oh what is the blood reckoning. Whenever a creature attacks you or a planeswalker you control, that creature's control loses one life. So those are multiple triggers for losing life, which trigger multiple exquisite blood gain life replacement effect trigger type things which also made Carla figure. It's a very nice synergy. Right. And a couple of the cards that he has in here that I actually kind of find kind of interesting is the fact that he has, what is this, um, Intangible Virtue. It's the enchantment where token creatures get plus one, plus one, and have Vigilance. Mm-hmm. So now you have an enchantment that not only gets you an experience counter, and it's also cheap, but also makes it so that even if you didn't have experience counters, Daxos could just start churning out zero, zero tokens. So it makes no difference if it shows up before Daxos actually gets to actually have an enchantment on them or, or some experience counters coming out. There are some very powerful utility constellations here, too. Like, Edge of Erebos, I feel, should be in every Daxos deck because of the instant speed Paducah bog power. Mm-hmm. Then, of course, let's see here. Then, of course, you get your Doomwake Giant. Nixley's frame is also just a very nice wall. And uh, I was actually, for some reason, I thought Rip, wow, Whip of Erebos was in there, but then I just realized it's not. I'm just looking. Yeah, I can understand. I and thought I can, Erebos, and I thought it was the Whip. Yeah, I can kind of understand that, too. Like, you can't uh, expect Daxos to constantly be turning out really big tokens, especially if you're seeing a lot of hate. So you have to have a lot of, you know, just naturally big creatures to really use the Whip to its full extent. And it doesn't look like he has that. In fact, there aren't really any creatures that he would want to whip back, except for maybe like the Sun Titan, or if you wanted to get a Constellation Trigger off. Let's see, he's got, of course, some of the, you know, the classics. Visions of Brutality is one of the new cards from both of the Gate Wars. I'm actually excited to try out in the Daxus deck before I switch completely over to Eile. Really happy to see the Stasis Snare. Like I said, Daxus, the Daxus deck just really wanted the Stasis Snare. Spirit Bonds. It's one of my favorite cards. And hold on. And one other um, thing of note is only out of this hundred, entire hundred card deck, there are only twenty cards that he cannot get back from the graveyard with Sun Titan. Which is actually well, twenty-one if you count Sun Titan. Well, Sun Titan can't get back Sun Titan. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. But like twenty-one cards you can't get back with Sun Titan. Sun Titan can't get back Sun Titan. Therefore, Sun Titan counts. This is actually a very, very nice list. I might have to try some of this out for myself since I think I have most of these cards in my deck already. I'll just have to make a few adjustments. Run, AJ, run. William's going to steal your deck. It's not stealing if it's an homage. Homage my ass. Run. Run. Run, AJ, run. This this is very much the Orzov, you know, death by a thousand paper cuts type build. Yeah, I like this quite a bit as far as the Daxos build. So, good on you, AJ. This looks very nice indeed. And if you like AJ's Daxos build, go down to the show notes. It's down there. And also, swing by next week, because there will be another one of these in the Dangly Bits. Alright, and I'll go ahead and put the Dangle Bit links in the show notes. And I am linking it. And we're all set. Whew.
So I will say, running the store by myself is not fun. But at least, at least you're at the store. At least I am in the store. The, the store did not burn down while the boss was gone, so that worked out good. And I do actually feel not happy, but proud that my boss trusts me enough to leave me in charge for a whole weekend while he goes out of state. Yay. All right. Madagascar.com